0: Welcome to the Connection Point Church podcast. We hope to be an encouragement throughout your week. New episodes are available every Sunday evening and Thursday evening. We also invite you to join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We have an opportunity to give at the end of service, and so we thank you for that. Amen. Amen. We're going to get into the Word of the Lord tonight. It is good to be at Connection Point Church Amen, and we are going to continue in our study here in the parables, the parables of Jesus, and we are going to take a look at a parable that is by far one of the most controversial and seemingly complicated parables in all of the Word of the Lord, and, and of all the parables that Jesus taught, I can say without question, tonight's parable is easily the most controversial, even though it's not, or seemingly complicated, even though it's really not. But it, it causes quite a stir, and, uh, and so we're going to get into it. And when, when I decided to do a series on the parables, this was one of them that I was really kind of looking forward to getting into, to just kind of dive into, look at. And it's a very, I think, a very profound lesson that we find here that you might not expect Jesus to teach. And so it's found here in the book of Luke, chapter 16. And as we mentioned, there are, there are somewhere between, depending on how you categorize and define a parable, somewhere between 30 to 100 or so parables in the scripture. Most scholars will agree, somewhere between 50 to 80 in that number. And Jesus teaches these parables to convey kingdom truths in a way that is relevant for us to understand the parables are being taught from God's perspective. And so we are learning these these profound spiritual truths from God's perspective in a story that we can easily relate to and wrap our arms around. And so when when we read these parables, we have to understand that the parables are intended to give us God's perspective, right? So often in our just sinful, selfish nature, we can just we can read the Bible through the lens of our own personal ambitions and just our own agendas. Amen. And and so what God does is He gives us these stories to pull us out of ourself, out of our perception and perspective, and to see God's view, to see how God wants us to see things. And that's important. Amen. If we're going to be gospel-centered people, then we need to have a gospel-centered view of of the world and of life and of the kingdom, and so it's here in Luke chapter sixteen that of one of the categories that that Jesus teaches on he teaches on redemption he teaches on salvation he teaches on what they call ecclesiastical uh, or eschatological uh, themes in other words he he gives parables about the end days he gives parables about the relationship between grace and works he gives parables about. Just the tension between the sinfulness of man and the righteousness of God but here is what uh, we find a parable where Jesus talks about how we steward money and resources okay and so and so we're going to turn here to Luke chapter 16 verses one through thirteen and this is not just about money but it certainly involves money but it is really about a perception about uh, stewardship in general, all right? And so let's take a look here in Luke chapter 16, verse 16, beginning of verse 1, he, he said to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, all right? So there was a wealthy master, he, he was a rich man, he was the owner of the business, so to speak, and he had a steward, all right? And we're going to look at this. This wasn't quite an employee. He was for certain an employee because he was a delegated help but the steward was an individual that had some flexibility he had some authority that was delegated to him to manage some of the wealth and the resources and the riches that this rich man had entrusted to him and as and it says that an accusation was brought to this rich man that this man was wasting his goods he was mismanaging his resources he had been entrusted he had been hired he had been delegated to steward these riches, these these resources well, and a report comes back to this wealthy owner of the business or the land or the resources that his steward is not doing such a great job. All right? Verse 2. And so he called this man in, and he held him accountable, and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account for your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward." I'm not going to let you continue to mismanage my resources. I want your final report. I want you to get all your books done. I want you to give me, give me your keys, give me your books, give me your reports, because I, we can't continue this partnership. So verse 3, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? What am I going to do? For my master is taking away my stewardship. My job is I'm getting ready to get fired. I can't dig, all right, I don't, I'm not, I'm not these hands aren't managed, these hands aren't labor hands, these are management hands, I can't be out digging, I can't be out building things, he said, and I'm ashamed to beg, all right, I've got too much pride to, to beg, and I don't have enough skill to dig, and so what am I going to do, he says, verse four, he says, I have resolved what to do, here's what I'm, I'm going to figure this out, and here's what I am going to do that when i am put out of my stewardship when i leave my job that i may receive that that they may receive me into their houses all right here's where we get a little and just a little tricky here so he called every one of his masters debtors to him and he said to the first how much do you owe my master all right and so he gets the books out he gets his customer list out he gets all of his accounts he sets before him and He realizes he's got to make a final accounting of things. And so he calls all of his his customers in. He says, how much do you owe? What is your liability? What's your debt to my master? And they would say, well, we owe 100 measures, or we owe this, or we owe that. And so the steward took that amount that was owed, 100 measures of oil, and said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And so he cuts the debt in half. All right. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And so he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. Now I want to just give you some perspective here. This is a book that I'm reading about the parables. It's a highly uh it's just a really w- recommended book. It's called Stories with Intent. I don't recommend getting it. It's like probably eighty dollars, but it's called Stories and With Intent. It's about parables. And They have a kind of a a write-up about the cultural context of this particular, of these debts, and I want to read this to you. The amount of debt here is very large. Although suggestions of the exact figures vary, 100 baths of oil or um, the amount of oil that we read here, a bath is a unit of measurement, would be equivalent to about 800 or 900 gallons of oil, okay? Okay. The yield of possibly 150 olive trees. So, say, so we're not talking about chum change here. This man was a landowner. This man owned groves of olive trees. And the equivalent to the wages of about three years for the average worker. So we're talking, we're talking a lot of money. All right. And so 100 core of wheat, which we were here, he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said 100 measures of wheat, 100 measures. A measure of wheat, all right, would be almost 1,100 bushels, probably enough to feed 150 people for a full year the produce of 100 acres, and equivalent to seven and one-half years of labor for the average worker. And so we are talking a large volume of, of resources and wealth and money, and it is this manager that is this middleman, this account manager, that is stewarding these resources on behalf of a very wealthy man in relationship to these to these customers, to these purchasers, all right, to these end users, if you will. And So the master, get this. Now, this is where this, the text gives us a bit of a curveball, and we're going to look into this. This is where people get thrown off. So the master commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly. Everybody say shrewdly. For the sons of this world, now this, look at the conclusion Jesus draws here. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light or than the children of light. Okay? They're more shrewd. In other words, worldly people, um, perhaps even just dishonest people sometimes, are more shrewd than, than godly people. They're more wise. They're more cunning. They're more creative. They're able to leverage current opportunities to create additional opportunities. And Jesus is saying... I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon or by worldly wealth and resources. Use your worldly wealth, your worldly resources, that when you fail, you may be received into an everlasting home. And we're going to look at this, all right? And he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He's giving some principles on stewardship here that we need to take into account. And he who is unjust in what is least will also be unjust also in what is much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or in your worldly possessions and wealth, if what you have been entrusted to with your worldly resources, your your money, your, your your, your natural means and abilities, opportunities, he says, who will commit to you into your trust, true riches, all right? And so he draws a distinction between your natural riches and your eternal riches or true riches. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? There's some principles here, some really profound principles, all right? And so here's the point that he's making, that no man can serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and love the other or you're going to be loyal to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and earthly riches. That's the point. That's the first point. But he builds on this. You cannot serve both God and earthly riches, but we find in this parable that we are instructed by Jesus to use our earthly riches to accumulate eternal wealth. And that's the second point that we're going to look at here tonight, all right? And so let's pray, ask the Lord to help us this evening, and uh, we're going to take a look at five lessons from this parable here in Luke chapter 16. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, for this parable. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, our minds. I pray that you would give us, God, I pray just a spirit-led application, God. I pray tonight, God, even just in a Just the plain reading of teaching of scripture, Lord, I believe that there are people in this place tonight, God, that you have a unique and specific purpose for their life and for this season of their life, for their future. God, I pray that you would open their wisdom. I pray that you would open their their, their creativity, their ingenuity. God, I pray, God, that you would give them God dreams. I pray that you would give them. God, Holy Ghost dreams and their, their visions for their life and for their future, for their businesses. But Father, I pray that you would anchor us to this truth and to this principle, God, that we are ultimately not to be caught up in the love of money, but to serve you with all of our heart, our mind and our soul, but to use the riches and the wealth and the resources that you have entrusted to us for an eternal good. We thank you, Lord, and we give you glory and we give you honor. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And so it's here in this story, uh, this parable that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 16, that Jesus is speaking to these disciples here. He's speaking to his disciples, to his people in this particular occasion. And he's trying to convey to them some very important principles as it relates to this idea of stewardship and eternal wealth versus earthly wealth and earthly riches. And Jesus tells this story from God's perspective of a wealthy man, this master who owns a great deal of wealth and lands and resources, hundreds of acres of olive trees at least, hundreds of acres of wheat fields at least, and it is this man that is in a position to hire this middle man, this middle manager, this steward, this this employee, this delegated uh, agent on his behalf, to work on behalf of the wealth that this great man has accumulated in order to develop relationships and customers and accounts with end users, individuals, that he is to go out and he is to, to obtain relationships with, manage the relationship with, and to ultimately facilitate the purchase of this oil and this wheat from this wealthy landowner to these individuals who are going to be using it for their own individual purposes. And it was in this day and age that this steward, this employee as we might think of it, was an individual that was, in a sense, a person that was delegated a great deal of flexibility and leverage. You might not think of this as an individual that is just an hourly employee, but someone that has been entrusted, that someone that perhaps has been recognized for an ability to go out and to negotiate, a person that has creativity and cunning and relationship-building skills and consensus-building skills to, to, to go out and to take what belongs to the master and to find for him people who will purchase his goods and who will maintain that relationship on an ongoing basis. And so he is a person that is going to have to excel at stewarding resources well and cultivating relationships just as equally well. And so this individual, this steward, has been put into a position where he has been entrusted with a great deal of wealth, years of an average person's income, hundreds of, 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 of gallons of oil, hundreds of bushels of wheat, and he's been given this opportunity to take what he has been entrusted and to and to to f- facilitate the acquisition of those of those products those goods to an end user an individual and in oftentimes in an instance like this this individual because he was entrusted and because he was recognized as having the abilities to to kind of keep all these relationships in line and to manage all of the profit and loss and in the, in the, in the, in the resource as well, that he was usually giving a little bit of leverage in that he would ultimately determine the market value for the good, and he was able to negotiate the value to the end user. In other words, he was able to determine what the cost of the produce or the product would be from the owner, and he was able to mark it up and negotiate the cost to the end user. And so as long as the master got what he wanted in his cost, he could really just about mark up as much as he wanted to or as he felt the market would bear in the price that he would sell it to the end user. And so it was in this instance that this manager, the Bible doesn't really give us much insight into exactly how he was mismanaging, whether he was mismanaging the resources or the natural goods or produce or product, or he was just simply becoming idle in his management of the relationships. The Bible doesn't really give us much insight here, but somewhere along the way, he was found as being guilty of mismanaging this relationship between the master or the owner and the end user and so the bible tells us that this owner hears that he's his his hired servant his steward is mismanaging this relationship he's he's either defrauding the master or he's taking advantage of the customer somewhere in the middle something has gone awry and so the bible says that this master calls this servant this steward this manager this sales rep this territory manager, he calls him into his office and he holds him accountable. He begins to tell him, I've heard that you're mismanaging your, the resources that I've entrusted you and you're mismanaging the relationships that you've, that you've been given or that you've earned or acquired and, and so you cannot be my steward anymore. You can't work for me anymore. This isn't working. I, if I can't trust you and if you're, not, if you're not being a good uh, representation to the customer, this just is not going to work anymore. And so the Bible says that he held this man accountable, ultimately fired him, and gave him an opportunity to get all of his books, all of his accounting, all of his records in order. And so this man, realizing that he had just lost his job, just lost an opportunity to work for this, this landowner, he, he begins to think, what am I going to do now that I've lost my money? Now, you've got to realize that usually people in a position like this typically made a good income. In fact, in the Bible times, this is often the position that what, what we hear of often is a tax collector was in. The tax collector was an agent on behalf of Rome. Rome was wealthy. Rome was uh, uh, was collecting taxes From the people and as long as the tax collector got the taxes that Rome required, they were often allowed to mark up what they charged the citizens as much as they want and they would pocket the margin. And so the Jews resented the tax collectors in those days because they know here was a Jew. You are one of us. You're one of you're, you're 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 just you're just a person just like us. And yet here you are working on behalf of Rome. If the taxes weren't high enough already, you're over here overcharging us. What Rome is requiring us just to just to pad your own pocket and to make yourself rich. And these tax collectors or these stewards, these managers, often made a good living. And so this man realizes, I have just messed up. I've just lost a terri- a great opportunity. My life is getting ready to change. My income is getting ready to change. What am I going to do? I don't ha- I've got management hands. I can't go digging ditches. I can't go building things. I don't know how to build things. I can't go get a construction job. I don't know how to work with my hands. I don't know how to run a saw. I don't know how to drill. I don't know the first thing about working with my hands. I'm not a skilled laborer, and I don't even know where to begin. And furthermore, I'm too proud to beg. I can't go working at McDonald's or wherever, fill in the blank. I can't go working some, some meagerly job. I, I've got a Tesla payment i got to pay for. I can't just go work any sort of job. I've got to do something. And so this, this, this manager, this steward, begins to just think up a way that he can Turn this bad situation into good, if you will. And so the Bible says, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this opportunity that I still have left, that I have, I have this, this opportunity to give a final accounting of the records for my master and what, he, what his cost is, what, what he is owed, versus what I have already provided as what is due to the customer or the end user. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the debtors, I'm going to go to the end users, I'm going to go to my customers, and I'm going to ask them what their final invoice amount is, and I'm going to cut out whatever their, whatever the profit margin was that I added onto the cost, and I'm going to just get rid of that profit margin, cut myself out of the equation so that I can fulfill the obligation of debt to the master, and I can in turn by eliminating the little bit of profit that I might have made that I've already lost at this point anyway, I'm going to try to leverage that opportunity that I once had to make money in order to try to gain a relationship. And so in turn, what he did is he says, I'm going to use an opportunity that I had for wealth in order to gain an eternal reward in its place. I'm going to value relationship over earthly resources. And so the Bible says he did that. He says to the one guy, how much oil do you owe? He said about a $100,000 worth of oil. And he says, "Here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut that in half." And so that would tell me that he's got some pretty good profit margins. I don't know what oil margins are going for these days, but 50% margin in the in the in the in the in the market is usually pretty good. And so he cuts out that profit margin, fulfilling his master's obligation, cutting himself out of the picture, and in turn, he, he creates for himself a favor that this guy owes him. He, he's just built a bond of relationship. He's just built a bridge. He's just created favor in the eyes of this person. And so he goes to the next guy. How much wheat do you owe? Oh, I owe 100. Well, let's make it 80. Cuts out the margin that he's not going to get anyway now because he just got fired, And he says, I want you to take your invoice, make it 100, and said, now make it 80. And so he rewrites all the books. He takes it back to the master, to the business owner. And the master and the business owner, having recognized what he has done, instead of being angry with the the manager, instead, the Bible says that he was actually impressed with what he had accomplished. It's as if, man, you should have been doing this all along. You should have been using your shrewdness, your wisdom, your creativity, your ingenuity to leverage the resources that I had entrusted to you to create better relationships and lasting rewards. I want to tell you that in the business world, this happens all the time, even today. That companies, they have a good, a product, or a service. And because they are really good at manufacturing a good or a service, creating a, pro, a product that the people want, that they know that instead of trying to, 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 to build a bridge to the end user from their product, they will hire a sales rep or a rep company or a distributor, and they will say, we have this product. And we know people want this product. We have tested this product. We have done market research on this product. We know that there is going to be great demand for this product. And so what we want you to do is we want you to tell the world about the product. And if you will go out and you will knock on doors and you will call on your phone and you will send the emails and you will, and you will let the world know about this great product that we have, we are going to let you have a commission based upon the gross sales that you produce for this product. And the sales rep, the distributor, the account manager, the, the, the rep firm, they have a relationship, and this happens every day, all day, where they will get a deviated cost or a wholesale cost on the good or the product, knowing that when they take it to the market, that they can mark up that margin on that cost that they have, and whatever they bring in as margin, that's what they're going to use for their own profit. And so every day, every single day, when you go and you buy a Snickers, or you go and you buy chemicals for your business or you go and you buy a hammer or you buy a shovel or you buy commercial uh uh, air conditioning unit materials whatever you do someone made that product and then they have someone in the middle between the person that buys that product distributing it and the person that is selling it will sell it to the middleman at a deviated cost and they get to keep the profit that they sell to the end user and so here's what was happening this manager recognized this guy has finally just gotten his act together, and he was actually, he was actually commending this, this steward. And so we find a couple of interesting parables or p- just principles here that I want to get into because many people find in this parable, uh, they, 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 they get a little bit confused about, about why this master was so pleased with, with the manager or the steward. And we're going to look at this, but I want to take a look at a few things here. Number one, I want to just say that from this lesson here in Luke chapter 16, there's a few things that we could we can pull from this. In Luke chapter 16, but the very first thing I think we need to recognize here in, in Luke chapter 16 is that God. Remember, remember, we find that you got to identify the context, the character, and then you got to find what's curious, right? Remember, that's from our other lessons. There's three things you got to learn in every in every parable. What is the context? I've just shared with you the context. And then who are the characters? And so the characters in this in this parable are very very pretty straightforward. We have a steward, we have a wealthy owner or master, and then we have this steward. All right? We have the steward. And we find here right off the bat that God in this parable is the wealthy owner and that we are the stewards. And what we find here is a relationship between the master and the steward that God is saying is like a relationship between my people and myself. That I'm God, I'm the owner, I'm wealthy, I'm rich, I have the resources, and I have entrusted to you some things to steward well. I'm not going to tell you what to do with it, I just need you to give me back what is mine. And how you steward it is ultimately how you're going to be judged. And so we find here that there is a dynamic at play between this relationship between the master and the steward that, in according to God's eyes, parallels, in some respects, a relationship between God and His people. And the dynamic that the Scripture is trying to highlight here is this dynamic of stewardship. Everyone say Stewardship. That in many respects, that we are to view our position in the kingdom of God as stewards. We are stewards. And to understand the the powerful principle about stewardship is to understand the dynamic that a steward is someone that is responsible for the careful management of something that has been entrusted to their care. The steward is not the owner. The steward is just someone that has been entrusted with something that doesn't really belong to them, but they've inherited it for a time or for a purpose in order to satisfy the owner and to ultimately be a blessing to themselves and those around them. And a steward is someone that has been entrusted to carefully and responsibly manage something that has been given to them on a temporary basis. And the reality is is that God is trying to make a very clear distinction to each and every one of us that we are stewards, we are not owners. That 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 is a biblical principle, that God is the owner. That God is the source. That God is the one that gives all. Blessings That God is the one that gives us everything that we have. Our breath, our life, our our sound mind, our re- resources, our relationships, our opportunities. That in a sense, everything that we have, everything that is good comes from God. That we are not the source of the goodness of our life. We are not the source of the, of the blessings of our life. That we are not the source of the success of our life. That God has entrusted us with some things that we are to carefully and responsibly manage. We are stewards. Everyone say this. God is God, and I am not. I'm a steward. He's the source. And when we see this dynamic, it should create a shift in our understanding That what we have does not really belong to us at the end of the day. We're just a conduit. We're just a channel. We're just a manager. We're just a middleman. And God is the source. And we are going to be ultimately responsible for how we steward the things that are in our hands for just a temporary season. I want to tell you, money doesn't last always. Temporary wealth and resources don't last always. Let me tell you something. Health doesn't last always. The blessings in our life don't last always, all right? Ultimately, God is the giver of all things that we have, and we are accountable for how we are going to manage those goods, those blessings, and those resources that we've been given. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look what God is telling the, the children of Israel. He says, when you have eaten, all right? Now, He's just brought them out of the land of Egypt, okay? Now, let's set the stage. He has just delivered them from Egypt, which is a type of sin, okay? He's just brought them out of the world. He's bringing them into the blessings. He's bringing them into just relationship and covenant with him. And he says, now, I brought you through the wilderness. I've tried you. And now I'm going I'm to let you inherit a land that doesn't belong to you. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have a land that's flowing with milk and with honey. You're going to inherit houses you didn't build. I'm going to bless you. I want to just tell you, it's God's will to bless his people. And I feel this just really strong lately. God wants to bless his people. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless his church. All right? And I believe in this season, God wants to bless this church. I really believe that. And, And so here's what he says. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has, what, given to you. And he says, be careful now. That you don't forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Unless when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and beautiful businesses, and dwelled in those houses, and inherited great success. When your herds and your flocks multiply, when your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, everything you've done has been blessed. When your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. In other words, God said, when I bring you into the land, now that's not going to happen overnight. You're going to walk through some wilderness. You're going to go through some seasons. You're going to fight some battles. You're going, to, you're going to overthrow some kings. You're going to have to fight to get into this land. But ultimately, it's going to be me that brings you into that land. And when I bring you into that land, I'm going to bless you in that land. And when you get to a place where you find yourself full and satisfied and what you've done has been multiplied and blessed and you see all of the goodness that God has brought into your life, don't you forget where you came from. For I led you through that great and terrible wilderness, in which fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flint, flinty rock. It was only by the hand of God and the provision of God and the, and, the, or, and the destiny of God that you're where you are today, who fed you in that wilderness manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good in the end. And then you say in your hearts, my power and my might and my hand have gained me this wealth. In other words, don't you ever get to a place where you think you're the source. You see the difference? You're not the master in the parable. You're not the rich man in the parable. You're not the landowner in the parable. God owns the cattle. God owns the hills. God owns the cattle upon a thousand hills. God is the source. And He's always been the source. And if you're so inclined, if God is so good to bless you, don't you ever get to a place where you begin to think that you're the source. You're the steward. You're the manager. You're the channel by which God wants to use. And you shall remember the Lord your God for it is He who gives you power. Get this. It's He who gives you power to get wealth. That He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. All right? Is that it? And so what we find here is God is telling his people, listen, don't you ever get to thinking that all the success you've had, all the goodness that you've received and inherited and experienced, that somehow it's because you're so smart and you're so sophisticated and you're so so just just good and great or whatever. No, God is the source of the blessing. Humble yourself and realize you're not the source, you're the steward. All right, let's take a look at 1 Timothy 6. i got to move quick. Man, i got to move quick. <clears throat> Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, get this, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. All right? Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may hold on eternal life. In other words, don't use your earthly riches just to satisfy yourself but use your earthly riches for an eternal reward. Amen? And we're going to find that really is at the core of this entire parable. Let's go to the next lesson quickly. What was my quote? Living as steward and seven owner is to recognize that God is the source of provision, opportunity, and blessings in our life. Amen? Number two is that as a wise master, God will ultimately hold us accountable for how we stewarded his resources. All right, now here's, here's the next step. Not only is God the source of the blessings in our life, but get this, get this, get this, get this, get this, get this, because this, this is humbling. But he's going to ultimately hold us accountable for how we stewarded those blessings. Now notice something. This wise steward, or this, this unjust steward, this manager, he was, he was behaving unwisely for a season or two or perhaps for a while but he ultimately got found out and was held accountable. I want to tell you the biggest pitfall in sales is you get to a place where you've accumulated some success or even in business, and you get detached from the the things that made you successful in the first place. You build up a business, or you build up a territory if you're a salesperson, and the things that got you there, the hard work, the diligence, the time management, the 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 the, the good communication, the the response times, the faithfulness, the all the things the, the, that got you to a place where you were successful. Now you've gotten to a place where you have a, a good season or a good month or a good quarter or a good year or you get a good account, and all of a sudden you get it just happens all you get a little lazy. And instead of you know, uh, making some calls, instead you're playing Fortnite. Or instead of, you know, doing what you should be doing, you're doing something else. Amen? I'm not talking about myself. I don't play Fortnite. <laughs> you see it all the time. All right? But here's the reality. That will that'll last for a little while. I heard a football coach once say, man, this is so true. I love this. He said... He said, if you get a reputation for waking up early in the morning, you can sleep in as long as you want. And what he's saying is, if you can just build a reputation that you're up every morning at five in the morning, pretty soon people think, well, that's the guy that gets up early and they don't see you. They just assume you're, you're doing something. But in reality, you're back home sleeping in. But the reality is that, that won't last forever. Okay. And so at some point, this steward was sleeping in mismanaging relationships, being lazy Doing what wasn't going to make him successful or keep him successful. And at some point, he was ultimately held accountable. All right, And the reality is, is that we are all going to be held accountable at some point. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 4, 1-5. This is how we should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards. There's that word stewards. We're stewards, Paul said, of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of a steward, whether it's financial stewardship, spiritual stewardship, relational stewardship whatever you've been entrusted with it is first of all required that they be found faithful you got to remain faithful you got to remain consistent you got to remain committed to the to the vision to the purpose to the plan you got to remain faithful but with but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court in fact I don't even judge myself paul saying listen he said, this is, this is a deeper point here. Paul's saying, listen, God's ultimately going to judge. And Paul's saying here, I don't even judge myself, really, because I can deceive myself. He said, I'm gonna, He said, at the end of the day, God's going to judge. And so even what he's saying is like even beyond ourselves, like the word of God is ultimately what's going to judge us. We have to, hold our, we have to be held accountable to God's word, all right? And so at the end of the day, What we find here is a principle of stewardship is that God holds us all accountable. God is going to hold us accountable for how we manage the resources, the relationships, the opportunities, the seasons, the blessings, the material wealth that God has entrusted to us as stewards. We are going to be held accountable. In the book of Revelation, we find that in that last day that there are two judgments. There is what's called the great white throne judgment, and there is called the judgment seat of Christ. And on one side, there is, there is, the Bible says that the books were opened. And every man that is written in that book, uh, is the, the, every person is, is, is written in one of these two books. And, and everything you've done in your life is going to be held to account. Every idle word you speak is going to be held to account. Every decision you've made, everything you've done, you're ultimately going to be held accountable. God is not going to let anything just pass by idly. That's why every day we need to be accountable to God and repent and seek God and just God God lead me and guide me, direct me. But ultimately, a principle of stewardship is accountability. Now listen, I have three more points here, but I think I'm going to cut it off. So let me finish this, this final point here. So here's the quote on accountability. At the foundation of all good stewardship is good character and faithfulness. At the foundation of all good stewardship is good character and faithfulness. Before the profit margin, you better, have a, you better be a faithful steward. You better be a person of high character. You better be someone that ultimately the master can depend on because he's going to be the one that's going to determine whether or not you have a livelihood at the end of the day. You're going to be accountable to the master. Now, the way you're handling the customers might be the issue that he's not happy with, but at the end of the day, if you're going to be a wise steward, you better be of good character and you better be faithful. Let's look at Proverbs 28, verse 6. Is that in there? Did I put that in there or no? Maybe I didn't put that in there. Proverbs 28, 6 says this simply. It says, uh, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. All right? Better is a poor man. You better, you better have integrity. You better have character. You better have honesty. You better have faithfulness. You better be upright. All right, let me just give you the rest here, real quick. Sh- Number three, shrewd. Mm. Now, we know we're going to be held accountable, we have to be honest, we're never going to deviate from the principles of God's book. But here's the point that we find in Luke 16 that I think is really what's so interesting about all of this is beyond just being a faithful and wise. Steward of high character, above reproach, honest, reliable, dependable. Godly character, Christian conduct. Here's Jesus takes it a step further now, okay? Now this is where the meat of this parable is. And this is what I think is so interesting and exciting. God expects us to not only be faithful, but what he's encouraging us through this parable is to also be wise or shrewd with the resources that he's entrusted to us. Shrewdness means you're clever, you're wise, you're playing the long game, you're perceptive, you're able to wisely navigate a situation. In other words, you're taking the resources that you have been given in this season, and not only are you trying to build a margin on what you have right now, in the short term, you're trying to figure out how can I leverage what I've been given right now to benefit me in the future. You're 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 playing chess. You're you're thinking wisely. You're thinking out of the box. You're thinking far-sighted, perceptive, creative. And what he's saying here is that this man he started thinking a little out of the box. He 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 ob- he fulfilled the obligation in the short term, but in addition to just managing those resources in the short term, he was able to leverage that opportunity to develop eternal relationships and rewards. He took his profit margin and he turned it into a, a, a relationship that he could use to, to help him in the long run. He cut his profits to build relationships. He, he, he took something that he had been entrusted with on a short term and he used it to build something for the long term in, 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 in this context of eternity. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 10 verse 16. Bible says this. What does he say? Matthew ten, sixteen. He says, "Behold, I am sending you out of sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves." All right. And so, we don't do anything that's that's unruly, that's 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 unChristian, ungodly, that's unwise. Just, but we need to be wise as serpents. We need to be cunning. We need to be thinking. We need to be creative. We need to be figuring out how can we leverage this. How can we do something with this? How can we turn one into two. How can we turn two into four? How can we turn ten into a hundred? So that's what he's saying here. All right. Let's see this quote. Man, I wish I could elaborate on this. <clears throat> Let's look at the quote here. To be shrewd is to make the most of your opportunities. Is to make the most of every opportunity. All right. Connection point, church. We're going to use an opportunity that we've been given here in Trafalgar and multiply it into an opportunity to reach people in Franklin. We're going to take two talents. We're going to take the talent that God's given us, and we're going to try to turn it into two talents. Some of you, God has given you a talent in this season, but I want you to begin praying and thinking this opportunity you have. How can I make the most of it right now? How can I make it as profitable as I can right now? How can I I use it right now to the most of its ability, but how can I also turn that into something even greater, even bigger, even more of a blessing for the future? How can I play the long game while I'm playing the short game? To be shrewd, to be wise, is to make the most of your opportunities. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verses 3 through 9, He said the children of this world are more shrewd than the children of light. That the people in this world do this all the time. That in other words, he's saying you don't have to be dishonest to be shrewd. You don't have to, you don't have to to, to tell a lie, to 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 take advantage of the opportunity that you've given. You can be a good Christian and you can be a wise business person at the same time. But the ultimate point is is ultimately this is that we are to use our natural resources now for an eternal reward, all right? Let's keep moving here quickly. I'm almost done. Forgive me, I don't do this very often. Here's the big picture point. Christ is teaching us to leverage our worldly resources for eternal rewards. For eternal rewards. What has God entrusted to you right now? Not only should you be thinking short-term and long-term, but you need to be thinking eternally. That's really what you need to be thinking. How can I use what God has given me right now to make an eternal impact? How can I use the resources and the opportunity and the season and the favor I'm in right now to be a blessing to the kingdom of God and eternity? Because the reality is, is earthly wealth and earthly riches fade away, but that which is set aside in eternity lasts forever. Matthew 6.20, what does it say? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves can't break in and steal. He says, take what you have now and use it to build up an eternal reward because God is keeping it there for you in eternity, and it's not going to fade. It's not going to rust. It's not going to be stolen. God's going to keep it there for an eternal blessing, an eternal reward, all right? 1 Peter four ten through 11 As each has received his gift, whatever your gift is, Use it to serve one another. There it is. Use the gift that God has given you, your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever it is. You need to use that gift to serve other people because in doing so, you're being a good steward of God's diverse gifting and grace that he's given you. And in serving others in blessing others and using what you have in your hands right now to be a blessing to others, to make an impact to others, you're going to therefore create for yourself riches in heaven. Not only are you gonna have riches in this earth, because I wanna tell you, if you bless other people, they're gonna be like it just in this story. They're gonna wanna bless you back here in this life, but also God's gonna wanna bless you in heaven. This steward, he said, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna cut my profit margins. I'm gonna satisfy my master's obligation. I'm gonna cut some out of myself, cut myself out of this a little bit. I'm gonna sacrifice myself. I'm gonna f- sacrifice my time, my money, my talent, my ability. I'm gonna cut myself out that I can serve somebody else. And and the reality is, is that what he lost here in a temporary fashion, he gained an eternal reward for this relationship that was going to receive him after he lost his job. And what the Bible is telling us is, is that Jesus, this steward, this master, commended this steward because he says, here's what you did. He says that you, uh, you made an eternal relationship. What does that scripture say in Luke chapter 16, verse 9? Read it real quick. What does it say? Sorry, I'm all over the place, but I want to, I want to get this. He commended him. He says, I tell you, make friends of yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. He's saying, what you have right now is not going to last forever anyway. And so here's what he says. Make friends of yourselves from unrighteous resources and wealth so that when the wealth fails, when the opportunity fails, you can be received into an everlasting home. You can have relationships that are going to last even when the money's gone. You can have relationships that are going to last even when the business is no longer profitable. You can have relationships that are going to last even when the church is no longer thriving or whatever. The deal is you need to, you need to make an impact in the kingdom of God. All right. Number five, let's quickly do this and then we'll be out of here. <clears throat> be faithful with what you have now and God will bless you with more. And that's really the principle wherever you are right now, wherever you are, whatever is in your hands right now, whatever's in your hands, even a little bit. You say, well, I'm not that wealthy business owner. I don't have three years of income to, you know, of resources. I don't have, you know, 100, you know, bushels of wheat. I don't have 100 barrels of oil. That's fine. Whatever you have right now. If you will be faithful with the little. God will entrust you eventually with more. So you be faithful now and God will bless you with more. Luke 16 through 13. And after looking around at them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was, oh, I got the wrong one. Okay, go to, go to the one in Colossians. We'll just end with this. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward and you are serving the Lord Christ. All right, I just really believe That if this guy, in the beginning of the parable, if he would have just had a mindset, I'm a steward, I'm not the owner, and I'm going to keep on serving faithfully the Lord. I'm going to keep on working diligently and heartily unto the Lord, not for men. I'm going to do what's right even though no one's watching me. I'm going to be faithful even when no one is paying attention. I'm going to be accountable even when no one's holding me to account. I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to be wise, and I'm going to be creative, and I'm going to be ingenuitive, and I'm going to make the most of this opportunity. He would have just done it for the Lord. He would have never been in this situation to begin with. But the reality is that we each each and every one of us, we have opportunities, whatever is, whether great, whether it's small. And the question is, what are we doing to make an eternal impact? And that's the point of this parable. Stand with me tonight. Amen. <clears throat> I held you over. Mm. But God's going to bless you for your sacrifice. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. I really, I want to. I really feel the. I, I feel the Holy Ghost in this season for this church. And I just really want to just encourage you. Some of you have already started businesses, and it's already. I'm just Lily. You started a photography business, right? Just this year. Is that correct? And it's like people are coming out of the woodwork. I don't want to over embellish or be, but I mean, people are just coming to you. God wants to bless you, all right? Some of you, other God has put the desire in your heart to start businesses. I'm telling you, God wants to bless you. And I feel like that's a principle, but I feel in this season, God wants to bless this church because God has an eternal purpose and an eternal plan. And if we will be stewards, if we will be conduits, if we will manage well and generously, and we will have a kingdom purpose, an eternal perspective, and we will take the blessings that God has given us, and we will sow, I feel the Spirit of God, if we will sow into eternal things, God is just going to, He's going to say, I, I can trust you. You just keep on. The more I put into this person, the more they just let it just flow through. The more I bless them, the more they bless others. The more I prosper them, the more they prosper the kingdom of God. And God wants to just pour out his spirit upon this church, pour out his blessings. And so if you would, let's just pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you.